Don't wait for everybody before speaking up. We need to urge the people who already agree with us to speak up, and then we might find that we're actually in the majority after all. Pluralistic ignorance refers to the phenomenon where people holding very popular views mistakenly believe their viewpoint is weird, when in reality, most people already agree with them, they just don't know it. And this is a big problem in America right now, where surveys show a majority of people misrepresent their views in public or keep their true opinions private. You can't just assume that most people believe something. Historically, change has come, driven by a small portion of people dedicated to action who are the first to speak up and push things along. And then later, after the fact, there's more broad support. The environmental movement mobilized about 10% of Americans who participated in various local demonstrations around the country for the first Earth Day in 1970. Even in the midst of the turmoil of war protests, this movement pressured on environmental issues. And so Nixon, yes, Nixon, passed a, quote, unparalleled impressive legislative and political trifecta, unquote, later in 1970. Nixon created the Environmental Protection Agency, and it was directed to focus on public health effects when developing the regulations. The EPA was specifically instructed to not consider at all the cost to industry in their regulatory decisions. In 2018, 48 years later, a nationwide poll showed 74% support the EPA, the Clean Air Act, and stricter limits on air pollution. The civil rights movement was sadly quite unpopular at the time, and yet it's long been considered fringe to be openly against the Civil Rights Act. Conservatives often make it sound like everybody was on board the whole time, and there was lots of support from Martin Luther King Jr. broadly, when that was just not the case at the time. Even government agencies during that time were trying to disrupt the civil rights movement, infiltrating even social organizations and causing disruption in community groups. I think most would agree peanut butter should be made out of peanuts, but at one point in the past, manufacturers started making peanut butter with many additives and fillers, and the industry even argued that making it mostly out of actual peanuts would supposedly stifle innovation in peanut butter. If that sounds ridiculously familiar, stopping innovation is the same claim Stockton Rush used against safety protocols for his dubious and now imploded submarine where he died on that hill, or more specifically, in a watery depth next to another spectacular arrogance-related maritime disaster. And the automated generated linguistics industry, popularly referred to as AI, has also used claims of stifled innovation to argue against privacy and safety regulations in the EU. Ruth Desmond, an ordinary, quote, housewife, and concerned citizen rightly was more concerned with wholesome nutrition and safety, so she organized some people and became known as the peanut butter grandma for her valiant push for a regulation for peanut butter to be made out of peanuts. Her group went on to publish a quarterly newsletter to organize letter campaigns to government officials on more issues, because Ruth Desmond knew that it wasn't that people were complacent or unconcerned. It was that they weren't getting the information they needed to make a fuss, and she meant to change that, and she did. When more people are informed, more people speak up. In 1928, James A. Tobey wrote in the American Journal of Public Health and urged people to write their representatives and senators to support a public health science bill that was being countered with reactionary mischaracterizations. And Tobey said, quote, it would be helpful if sanitarians would communicate with their United States senators and representatives regarding this important matter. Do it now, unquote. 
This was taking place after the 1918 influenza pandemic, but there were more surges of flu throughout the 1920s, as well as the spread of other preventable infectious diseases like tuberculosis. Interested people moved things forward and pressured for the prioritization of health and safety, and so public health advanced to a point where flu epidemics and a lot of infections became a thing of the past by 1950, including smallpox. Warren G. Harding ran for president in 1920 with, quote, return to normalcy, unquote, as his slogan. But there were as many as 110,000 reported cases of smallpox in the United States that year. Then cases fell in the 1930s and disappeared by 1950. During that time, research, epidemiology, and disease control measures expanded greatly because, quote, from Roosevelt's New Deal in the 1930s through Johnson's Great Society of the 1960s, a federal role in services affected the health and welfare of individual citizens became well-established, unquote. This was because the sanitarians and others communicated with their representatives. The polio campaign in the U.S. was successful because of a concerted effort to do a door-to-door campaign that started before the vaccine was even available. The idea that vaccination was just a default and that everybody easily got on board back then is a nostalgic fantasy. It took work by some people to make that happen. The propaganda resisting public health was as toxic and bonkers as what spreads perhaps just more prolifically today on social media. Back then, some even blamed paralysis from polio on Americans who made inferior dietary choices. Sound familiar? Some people made sure we countered that and had a proper vaccine drive. There was indeed resistance to the polio elimination campaign, and it was overcome. Medicare is popular today, yes, even among conservatives who look forward to getting it when they turn 65, and many would be in deep trouble without it. But Medicare, the health care funding which seniors now rely upon, and which funds most doctor training residency slots, had its detractors. The arguments about something interfering with the doctor-patient relationship were made against Medicare, and were later made against the ACA too, and the same arguments are made against a national single-payer policy as well. Strangely, that same argument, grave warnings about something coming between patients and doctors, is being used by anti-mask hospital executives to argue against providing PPE in healthcare settings to prevent hospital-acquired infectious disease. The healthcare industry simply won't find solutions to any of these problems, whether it be understaffing, healthcare-acquired infections, healthcare worker safety, ethical staff-to-patient ratios, ED boarding, or patient dumping. When executive salaries and the corporate bottom line depend on them not finding solutions, what comes between doctors and patients is not government nor masks. It's the corporations and their financial interests. People know this, and when nurses' unions and patient advocate groups stand up for what's right, we all win. Medicare and Medicaid exist, and the attempts to repeal ACA's protection of people with pre-existing conditions were derailed. The adversaries of public health have never held back when in the minority. Conservative housewives in the 1950s predated the right-wing moms groups of today, and a right-wing phone company has pushed their own candidates onto a couple of school boards in Texas. But most of these right-wing agitators do not have a majority behind them. They just don't let that stop them from pushing and shouting and showing up. They organize whoever is willing to write dozens of letters to your Democratic representatives and show up at other people's school board meetings. In some awful cases, they incite people to violence or threatening actions. 
which may be their undoing since nonviolent campaigns appear to not only be twice as effective than violence, but that it just takes 3.5% of the population actively participating in a nonviolent campaign to bring about major changes. It doesn't always work, but it can start with just a small dedicated few. And of course, it won't happen if nobody tries. If something is desirable, it seems it will come to pass just with enough pressure, but not until then. Ancient Rome had some pretty impressive infrastructure, but at the time of Marcus Ignatius Rufus in 19 BCE, there were no fire departments. The only security forces of any type were the private guards of the rich. Ordinary Romans wanted these services because fires were quite common. But when Ignatius Rufus organized a fire brigade in his city, the Emperor Augustus was against it. And when Ignatius Rufus ran for council, Augustus disapproved. Some scholars say because he knew the fire department policy was so popular it could make Ignatius Rufus politically unbeatable. So Augustus blocked his candidacy, which led to people protesting. Ignatius Rufus was labeled a conspirator and executed. Later, Augustus set up the same type of fire brigade that Ignatius Rufus had made anyway. Maybe we can't know for sure what people were thinking back then, but of course we don't ask in retrospect why did people want fire departments? We know why people wanted firefighters to come when something is burning down. It's common sense now. Now it is common sense. Yet for some reason, the simple social good hadn't been implemented before this, and the elites of the time somehow were even deliberately delaying it. This isn't the only example of the Roman Empire seemingly standing directly in the way of infrastructure progress. The Romans ignored developing the steam engine, too even though the technology was there as far back as 285 BC possibly, but at least as far back as Heron in 62 AD. Romans in charge who had wealth that could have been invested in steam engine development just weren't interested in that kind of thing. They were invested in maintaining the status quo. So much for innovation. Sensing a pattern, the consistent thing throughout the years is that elites don't seem to worry enough about real danger. Elites typically panic about the wrong things because they prioritize stability of the status quo. Everything is impossible or unpopular until a few people say, hey, wait a minute, we should do this, and then press for it until others get on board. We can have a better world without convincing the whole world first. Don't listen to doomsayers who say it can't happen or won't or that nobody cares. And don't waste your time arguing and drawing attention to contrarians and flame wars. It just doesn't go anywhere. It just takes a few. We don't need to wait for most people to agree with us. We just need those who do to speak out and push forward. Most of us want the same things we want than most of us realize but we can't set it and forget it because the people who cycle into power always start prioritizing the status quo and the interests of other elites so ordinary people have to keep pushing. Voila. That's how it is, so we keep going. Write your reps. Do it now.